live. I'm sitting down with Tommy of uh, Year Zero. Uh, What's up? Here to, uh, was that Ronan? John? I, I, I don't know podcast. Like, I don't remember if you have a podcast or not. Uh, well, I have like a YouTube channel that I kind of work on periodically, but not not consistently, no. Okay. That's and called got, Mind Your Business. <laughs> mind Your Business. And I'm putting my, what's my friend Caleb from Twitter, Caleb uh, Salmon. Yep. So, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're, we're talking about uh, Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country. Um, Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung. I got uh, a pipe ready to smoke, but I, I can't smoke it indoors, but it works. So, um, Let's get into it. We should have the link and then we'll uh, get into this. Oh, completely forgot. Um, if anyone here wants to kind of say what they do before we go live, so like introduce yourself a little bit, feel free to do so before we, before we get into the book, I mean. I don't do anything. You've been on a chicken coop, so I mean, that's, that's something. Oh, man. I'm, this, is, this is a killer time of year for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about gardening and animals and being out in the sun and i love it i love it but it's exhausting it, it really wears you out so yeah. so um you want to go next caleb go out ahead all right i uh i teach and right now i'm building two uh tombs facades that are uh we're going to use on easter um trying to rig them so that the uh, stones roll away on their own uh, at the click of a button, and then the kids can look inside, and Jesus isn't there. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's that's awesome. That sounds like a real cool thing. That's the goal. Hmm. John, what about you? If anything you want to add? Uh, me? Yeah, well, I uh, I do a lot of art, as you can see in my background here. For Looks great. Watching. Uh, thanks. Um, that's on Instagram mostly. Uh, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on selling it and, you know, doing other things with digital prints and stuff like that. Um, but I do, uh, I, I do podcasts periodically. I've been on Tony's show before. Um, I like to talk about Carl Jung. So whenever I get a chance, you know, I, I try to jump on it cause it's good stuff. Um, I do have a, a YouTube channel called mind your business with John Hartman. Um, I'm really into like meditation and like Eastern philosophy. So I, I, I talk a lot about that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't done a video in a while. They're kind of, they're short videos, but uh, you know, I, I, I've been meaning to get back in that. I'm just, uh, I do so many things. I kind of focus at one, on one thing, at, you know, right now. And then, you know, I'll get bored with it and I'll go focus on something else. And, you know, so, you know, there'll be more videos on that, but right now I'm really uh, focusing on my art and getting that out there. Nice, nice. Well, let's get into it. Um, Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung. My first, my first, uh, this is my first time reading a Jung book. I googled what would be a good book for beginners, and this book came up. Got it a few months ago. Didn't get any of it. Put it down. Saw Caleb posted about it on Twitter, and decided, okay, this is my chance to do this book. So I tagged some people. We got it organized, and now we're doing it. So, um. Anybody have any takeaways from the book in general before we kind of get into specifics about it? I think that it, you know, this this book is so pertinent to what's been going on lately. Um, I mean, just and it's funny because you know the the thing the things that he talks about in this book they're, you know, nineteen nineteen fifties, and even earlier, and it's still going on today. 
Um, so that I, that I think is, is pretty good that everyone can actually read it and see that history is, you know, kind of repeating itself in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like, um, yeah, he, he, he does touch on what a lot of what he touches on is relevant today. Also, it, it kind of gives you a different perspective of what it means. I felt reading it that if you didn't have a definition of the self that you were going to be missing out on, on some of um, what he was talking about. Hmm. And uh, if you didn't understand to me, it it focuses a lot on the self and the shadow um, by his definitions of the self and shadow. It, Correct me if I'm wrong, John, because I know you're you've read a lot of this stuff that that I'm referencing here. But so he has you have to understand what he means when he says the self or yourself. He's talking about he he breaks it down into a person has like four attributes. So you got the ego, the the shadow, um, the anima and the self. Right. And the self is the the full knowing of of oneself. It's it's breaking through all the psychological barriers in order to really, truly know who you are. And if you weren't aware of that going in, you're going to get a very different interpretation than if like someone like John or I reads it and we're seeing what he's talking about. He's really talking about the discovery of all your dimensions and every side of yourself. And that incorporates the darker side. And he's talking about how without going down this, this path of discovering who you truly are, you're going to be left without, um, the ability to to fight ideological fanaticism mm. and and so you're, you're basically you're not going to be able like able to critically think your way out of it and and one of the things i found wild about this read was in his determination discovering oneself is discovering a faith bigger than oneself mm-hmm. it, it was discovering something that that transcends humanity and that you needed that transcendence to escape the the possible slavery to the totalitarian state yeah so i think uh one of the things you were talking about, like the the path to the self discovery, um, in other books he calls that uh, individuation process. Mm, yes, and that's where you you kind of bring it all the all these things in together. You know, um, as far as like you were talking about the anima, what that is is that the anima is like the feminine side of the male psyche, and the the opposite of that would be the animus for for women. Um, so. Tommy's right. I, I I do think that like maybe someone that's that's you know read enough young will kind of see the self as a different thing, um, but I don't. I, I really don't think it's necessary, um, like it like it is in other books, you know, because you you can read this and kind of follow along pretty easily. Um, 
I might be wrong about that, you know, seeing it from my perspective. I can't, I can't look at it with any other perspective than my own. Um, so I, I see where Tommy's saying, like, if, you know, this, if you don't understand the self in previous writing or other writings of, of Young, it's going to be, uh, it might go over your head, but I think this is a short enough and, and it's, it's, uh, succinct enough to, to really, you know, still get something from it. Um, like I was talking about, uh, I'll just read this real quick. Um, it's the first, you know, the first, uh, first page, first couple sentences here. What will the future bring? From time immemorial, this question has occupied men's minds, though not always to the same degree. Historically, it is chiefly in times of physical, political, economic, and spiritual distress that men's eyes turn with anxious hope to the future. And when anticipations, utopias, and apocalyptic visions multiply. Um, I think that that he sets it up really, really well there because that's exactly what we're going through. That's exactly what they were going through in the past. It's there's, it's not just one thing. You know, we're getting hit from all all different sides, uh, be it spiritual, material, whatever. Um, so, I think that when he frames it that way, um, the self isn't as important to understand. Right, you know, right right away from from the get go. Kid, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think um, when I was reading it and putting it in the context of the 1950s, um, like a lot of what he says is in the context of uh, the Cold War, the USSR. Mm -hmm. um, like that—that—that's the reality he's living in. I remember I read another book written um, uh, in like 1980. Uh, and it said in the in the oh, intro, it said that the reality of our lives is uh, the first and second world. Communism is the reality of our lives. Like, and that was thirty years later. That was just hey, our entire world is defined by this thing that's going on. Um, but when you mentioned how um, uh, relatable what he says is to today. Um, even though the, the Cold War ended, the USSR fell, um, it's, and you look at what he's saying about how that was happening in the West during the Cold War, it, it almost feels like we didn't change anything. Even though the enemy was gone, um, the same things that we were doing in the Cold War that he's talking about and saying, hey, this is what's beating people down, um, they're still going on. Mm. probably something to do with the uh, communist ideology infecting the you know institutions of America so what uh, like the Marxist universities the secular dogma all of it is he's a socialist communist or just a liberal which is these things just minor differences but just so much of it's a sad ideology it's it's really it is the it is the going ideology of the AIDS you know it's everywhere mm -hmm. you look well you touch on this in uh, the fifth essay he touches on this and he alludes to the fact that um, the more comfortable people are, the less likely they are to change. So, like, if you if you if you look at your parents' generation and and the way they grew up in America, they were very very comfortable, and it was very much like we were raised. A lot of us were raised like, well, yeah, you just believe what they say, and you just have faith in the system. 
because the systems always held us up. And so there's a type of cognitive dissonance, which in the words he uses, but there's a cognitive dissonance. And basically, if you really read closely, he's talking about mass formation psychosis in a lot of this book. Um, but there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs whenever that security that you're you're used to starts falling away and you're clinging on to that old thing mm-hmm. and and you have to let go of that old thing and he he talks about this and i think this is what john was referring to whenever he said like we really need to cover this fifth essay like this is like super important i i, I don't know if i'm wrong there john but that that's what i really got out of that fifth essay it was like he was really like concentrated on like that that thing of old that's so comfortable that you're so used to it's not always going to be there and you got to be aware and you got to be able to to have your eyes open enough to say okay like we got to step back from this yeah i mean you know i think the the fifth sixth and seventh is is really really pertinent i mean the whole book is i mean um but but I wanted to kind of talk more about the, the fifth than anything. I'm not mm. opposed to talking to all of it, but I think that that, um, like here, it, I, I highlighted a couple parts in this fifth part here. And uh, so I'm just going to read them and, you know, we can figure Go out ahead. if you want to talk about them or not. So um, only when conditions have altered so drastically that there is an unendurable rift between the outer situation and our ideas now become antiquated. Does the general problem of our, Weltanschauung, which I guess means philosophy of life, um, arise, and with it, the question of how the primordial images that maintain the flow of instinctive energy are to be reoriented and readapted. Now, I, I think in regards to religion, what he was kind of trying to get at in this chapter is kind of shifting, shifting away uh, from like the literal meaning, the the, the little literal word. Um, and, and kind of putting it in a way that modern man can understand. And I think that that's, uh, you know, some people may argue that that's not a good thing, that the word is the word. Um, but I really think that, you know, in order for, in order for the values of the word to, get to, to carry on to this generation, we have to put in the terms that people can understand. And mm. the churches aren't doing it now, and the, and, and the state is. The state is taking over where religions left off um you could argue whether or not you can get get uh gain morality from somewhere aside from the church but that has been the way that society has been functioning for you know two thousand years right so mm-hmm. we're seeing a shift now to the state and as a result people are starting to be less and less prone um to the morality that was once you know basically universal now, do you think, uh, I, I think this is like kind of a reference to the, the consciousness of what's happening around you is diabolically opposed to the psyche. Like, I really feel like that's what he's really talking about. Cause there's this quote and where he says, modern man can know himself only in so far as he can become conscious of himself. His consciousness, therefore, orients itself chiefly by observing and investigating the world around him. So 
so he's talking about how your your psyche is operating within yourself with the world around you and how you're in taking this and there's there's a part of yourself there's a part of your psyche that's so attached to what you believe is true or what you quote unquote know is true that when you see what's happening around you you accept that two plus two equals five because it's it, it it's much easier on your psyche and on you internally and only those that have done the work have, are are going to be those that are willing to point out the emperor has no clothes yeah i, I will say i i really um so the entire book, he obviously makes it appears between, um, you know, how the state is a religion, the state is a the new religion kind of thing. And uh, even hits, there's a quote about people, um, maybe I, I, might, I might have inferred this, uh, I might not have been saying this, but what I got out of it is uh, people have been robbed of their belief in God, or robbed in religion through science. And the quote I read was, You could take away man's, um, you can take away a man's gods, but only to give him others in return. Yeah, and that's by it's a great quote. I went there. Mm. I had a pause. I, I was listening to. It, I had to pause it. Go back. Get my notebook. Got to write that down because I'm like that is <laughs> that is spot on. When you when you say science disproves religion, you have now made science the new religion for a lot of people. Mm. And it's like, well, if that beats this, I have to go there now. And that's just how the, that brain works. And it's we was hearing that kind of, kind of a lot of things that like, you know the COVID was being crazy people. The, it, it, a lot of things kind of clicked. I'm like, I knew that, but hearing it in that way really kind of like clicked in the space. I'm like, oh yeah, it's. It really is psychologically speaking. It's 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 a religion. They they have switched to this because that is what's what's being taught, what they're being preached to, and what's keeping keeping them safe. Mm. So it's really just become their new totality, new totality of the religion. Yeah, I think I can't remember what page it was on or whatever, but he he, he talks about how, um, you know, he he goes into depth about the mass man and what that entails and how, um, when society starts getting bigger and bigger, uh, the the individual matters less and less and it becomes more of a statistic than what is what is a reality you know mm -hmm. um so for instance he, he talks about like how statistics can show you like for when you're trying to classify things or you're trying to like kind of figure things out you know statistics are a great thing but they don't show you the reality the, the two extremes aren't there mm -hmm. right they cancel each other out i think he says yeah um, and then what is what what you're being told is real like he, he talks about how you know if if you go and measure like a bunch of rocks yeah he uses pebbles yeah he, uses pebbles. Yeah. he said just because it's the average doesn't mean you're going to find one right, <laughs> right. yeah basically you know and that's and that's what we're that's kind of what we're dealing with um as far as that goes because people aren't really able since they're not able to be individuals in the crowd, uh, they're not mentally prepared to think outside of being in the crowd, you know, so they're not, they're not meant to think about anything other than, okay, well, this is, this is the direction everyone's going. So I'm just going to keep going mm -hmm. that way, you know? Um, and that goes to what you were saying about, about how science kind of takes, takes over um, because we got into this mind frame that, you know, science, the science says this, the science says that, um, and that's fine. You know, we need science, you know, you, you have to have knowledge and understanding. Yeah. You can't just, you, you can't just live your life off of knowledge only. 
you know, you have to, you have to be able to understand what that knowledge is, how to use it. And people are just kind of right now, they're just going straight on autopilot, like following the crowd and um, not being able to think for themselves in that regard. Well, is this, people... uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, Was is that when he was, I'm trying to remember if that was the part where he was basically warning that um, all these, all these frames of knowledge, whether it be religion or science would, would become a creed and, and to avoid, to avoid the creed. I mean, really is what I got out of it. Avoid becoming a creed because like, if you're, if you're adhering to the rules of man and just using the language of God, then all you, all you have is a creed. And it's that, that, like I said that earlier, that the transcendence that actually makes it a religion and a faith. Yeah, it, well, I think he kind of defines creed as just like a, I, I mean, you could re, you could talk about it as like a, even a, a political ideology, mm -hmm. right? And like, mm -hmm. and, and how you're just identifying as that, you know, you just go through the motions because that's what your creed says versus, you know, uh, uh, your religion where there's there's more to it. There's more, um, I can't remember the word he uses. Uh I don't want to say ethereal because that wasn't the word he used, but something like that. There's an experience behind it, right. it's a, a movement. Mm. I mean, this is something but I was talking about in a group chat earlier was uh, about the uh, like the you say about how does the uh, what was it the majority of Jewish people are culturally Jewish, mm -hmm. right? There's, a, right? There's more atheist Jews now than religious Jews, but the majority yep. is cultural Jewish, and mm. we start talking about like what is a what. What is the numbers of like culturally Christian people? You know, for Catholics, who's the Catholics? They only show up mm. for the uh, obligated masses, and that's it. And like you know, like Nancy Pelosi is obviously a cultural Catholic. She goes when she's supposed to go, but then she's evil outside the church. Right. You know, what is how many Christians are there? It's the Easter Sunday cultural Christians, and we're seeing there's a huge Christian majority of people. It's like no, no, there's a really small minority of actual Christian people in this country, and there is a lot of them who just claim Christianity when yeah. they go on Easter and Christmas only. Well, uh, that's that's uh, a that's, that's a huge meme. In, in modern society, we, we live in a Christian culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've heard that I've heard conservatives say that thousands of times. Yeah. So I, yeah, that's a huge meme. And that's like, definitely uh, looking at it that way. It definitely makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I'd be willing to bet. It's probably three out of four people who say they're Christian mm -hmm. in, in the West. I was hoping um, to be higher than that, but I think you're right. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd be willing to bet three out of four people who will, if you ask them what religion they are, they'll say Christian, or if they, or some um, variation. Yeah, mm. or if they, they're going to church, it's Christmas and Easter, and they're not really. There's nothing going on spiritually. Just hey, we go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'd I'd probably say three out of four um, Christians are in that category. I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, fall into under that category, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, and I, you you can honestly see it, it, it. The if we weren't culturally Christian, those evil not just the people who are following through on the motions, just your Joe Schmo on the street, but the Nancy Pelosi's and the Joe Bidens. If we weren't culturally Christian, they wouldn't claim it. Yeah. Um, for any reason, I think that's the old, that is the number one evidence that America was ever what you would call a Christian nation. 
is that there are significant numbers of politicians who will still claim yeah. to be Christian for any perceived benefit because these people are probably psychopaths yeah. who this, this is everything is a calculated decision. This is something uh, Sam Harris was talking about. I know we don't like Sam Harris, but he made the point like Christianity has such a lasting impact that every partisan feels a need to claim Christianity when they're obviously not Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm like, even if Sam Harris can say it, it's probably, you know, a, it's not a bad claim, but he, he gets a lot wrong, but every once in a while he stumbles across something that's actually pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like when Trump was was running, right? What do you what do you say? The two Colossians or whatever it was. There's two, yeah. Two Corinthians or what? Like, yeah. Clearly, you're only doing that to fucking yeah. you know get get the Bible thumpers on your side. And that, uh-huh. you know, yeah. uh, but I mean, that's just that's how they all are. That's Joe Biden yeah. does the same thing. They all they all do that, you know, because they know that it's just it's just another identifier. It's just another identity. Yep. It's a box to take. You know. Um, in the second chapter, there's a there's this really cool thing. It says, um, for in order to turn the individual into a function of the state, his de- in de- his dependence on anything beside the state must be taken from him. But religion means dependence on and submission to the irrational facts of experience. That's what I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's the irrational facts. You know, it's it's the it's the uh, it's the irrationality of religion that people don't like right now and. And, and what the state does is they they bang you over the head with under with trying to tell you like well no you can't prove that there's no rationality here therefore it doesn't exist and you should just disregard it. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's spot on. Um, one point I was gonna make earlier was that we're talking about like when you open the open the book talking about the uh, well, the sinking majority, the sinking minority and the unsinking majority. Well, it was like he said, like we see, because he said like forty percent are sink, sinking people in the West are not. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about how so many people today. Uh, I have a, I have a friend who's still in high school, and he keeps failing tests because um, if he can't find a Quizlet, for those who don't know, Quizlet is an online website. You can go to type in whatever your class to do, and you can almost always find a test word for right exactly what they're going to be on. So here, just like do it at home, on locked us up with the test open, and his phone has the quizlet, so we can just copy the answers. That's the only way he passed the test. Mm. And so I'm like, why don't you do this? He's like, I have all I have access to all the knowledge of human history on my phone. Anywhere I go, I have access to everything. If I ever need it, I have it here. I was like, you have, you have all this knowledge on your phone, you don't know jack shit. <laughs> like, how many people just go through life saying, if I need to know something, I'll look it up in the spot. And they never actually learn anything, and they really, really, they don't know anything. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way technology is kind of a double-edged sword right because mm-hmm. you can know more things you can you can recall more facts and everything but you're not uh it's not coming from an understanding i mean anybody can read something and then just you know sound like they know what they're talking about i mean that's you all know, i do with the phone sitting there. that's what we all do right well we yeah we we think in bullet points now we don't think in mm-hmm. complete thoughts Right. Some of us are thinking tweets, 280k. I was just gonna say it's Twitter's ball. <laughs> but yeah, that part that you were talking about, the 40 percent, I found it if you want me to read it. I don't know. Oh, go ahead. Uh so it says everywhere in the West there are subversive minorities who, sheltered by our humanitarianism, humanitarianism and our sense of justice, hold the incendiary torches ready with nothing to stop the spread of their ideas except critical reason of a single, fairly intelligent mentally stable stratum of the population once nope i think we lost them oh we froze up we lost caleb and we lost we lost john oh no 
<sighs> so it's you and me, buddy. Let's carry this podcast through. Oh, oh here he's he back. Is. Oh. We lost it for like the entire part of your reading. Did you really? Mother yeah. Um, yeah, so should I start over then? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Everywhere in the West, there is a subversive minority. There are subversive minorities who sheltered by our humanitarianism and our sense of justice hold the incendiary torches ready. With nothing to stop the spread of their ideas except the critical reason of a single, fairly intelligent, mentally stable stratum of the population. One should not, however, overestimate the thickness of this stratum. It varies from country to country in accordance with national temperament. Also, it is regionally dependent on public education and is subject to the, the influence of acutely disturbing factors of a political and economic nature. Taking plebiscites as, as a criterion, one could, on an optimistic estimate, put its number, put its upper limit at about 40% of the electorate, or rather a more pessimistic view would not be unjustified either, since the gift of reason and critical reflection is not one of man's outstanding peculiarities. And even where it exists, it proves to be wavering and inconsistent. The more so, as a rule, the bigger the political groups are. Do you think that 40% number is still uh, accurate today, or do you think it's less? Uh, I, I'm, I'm very torn on that because there's access to Twitter and all this information. It's, a lot, it's so much easier to have people questioning the narrative now than ever before. But how many people actually question it or they just buy into a new narrative? It is, there's now there's been one narrative people buy into. There's like two narratives, the counter narrative and regular narrative, and both of them are probably false, but everyone just buys into one or two. Like, is there more thinking people today or less, you think? Less, more or less thinking people. I don't know. About half the country doesn't vote, so maybe they're the smart ones. Because <laughs> they're too busy thinking. <laughs> a person who sinks has nothing to think about except the socks they sink. I saw that on a TikTok, and I was just I was dying to laugh the entire time. Well, I mean, I don't know. You're looking at a situation where. I can't say that like, I I don't, I don't have the ability to say that we're not looking at a situation where this many people think it's just, are you thinking with the right data? Are you, are you utilizing the right data to come to your conclusions? Um, And I I think that's something that he's from chapter two, he works his way up to is, whether or not is the way you find this data or what are you, where, where are you depending on getting your facts from? Right. So again, I, I, I think one of the big underlying issues that he's talking about in this, at, uh, in, in this group of essays is mass formation psychosis and, yeah. and the, the, the inability of critical thought due to the lack of Mm self-awareness. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to kind of go along with that on another quote here, because I think that kind of ties it in a little bit. It's from chapter two as well. The individual is increasingly deprived of the moral decision as to how he should live his own life. And instead is ruled, fed, clothed, and educated as a social unit accommodated in the appropriate housing unit and amused in accordance with the standards of 
with the standards that give pleasure and satisfaction to the masses. That's right, right. What you said, you know, it's, it's again, going back to, you know, being a number instead of, you know, being an individual and that goes hand in hand with not being able to think and, and, and do the things that you need to do. Um, and as a result of that, with all, all these people not thinking the way that they should, or trying, trying to figure things out for the better of everyone, they're just kind of, um, you know, again, going along with every single <clears throat> without question. Slavery and rebellion are inseparable correlates. Hence, rivalry for power and exaggerated distrust pervade the entire organism from top to bottom. And what happens is, is the people that are, um, the people that, that do think for themselves naturally find themselves in places of power because they, they understand that they can manipulate the people because most people don't talk think. Yeah, the, um, the quote in there that uh, these people are so, they've lost themselves com completely. There is no individual awareness in them. Uh, and he says, an infinite number of zeros does not add up to one. The, mm -hmm. the, the masses are completely susceptible to one person who is aware of it, aware of what's going on. Um, and uh, what, what you were, the quote you read uh, before with the, the housing and the entertainment, according to what is being provided to everyone, it makes me think of the, the, you will live in the pod, you will eat the bugs, uh, just consume the next product and move on with your day. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think we, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the fact that he, he's not only warning against the collectivist mentality and at what I would say is a, a fanaticism of the state, but he's also warning against radical individualism because he does touch on the relativism of, uh, or the sub subjective nature or the relative uh, morality and that individualism brings. So it's not just he, there's, there's a line you walk, you know, and he's, he's telling you there's, there's a line you've got to walk. Like you, you still have to be part of this world. Right. And so I, I really feel like what he's advocating is a smaller decentralized community, tribal mm -hmm. kind of element is what he's really trying to promote when you really dig into what he's saying here. Yeah. He talks about, you know, exactly walking that, that line and you have to kind of keep both things in, in mind, you know, yeah. And you have to try to get as narrow as you can, you know, in that direction, as straight of a line as you can, because otherwise you're going to fall victim to either side. Mm hmm. A lot of stuff. Like <laughs> I very, said, man, a very short book. I mean, it's like what? It's uh, un it's a hundred and two pages, and it was. It's, well, it's yeah. just so much everywhere. It, I've it, never, I've never found somebody who writes in such a dense fashion, but can do it in such a way that it's intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, it almost the amount of information is like textbook level, <laughs> but it's an interesting thing to read. It's not a textbook. And that yeah. sucks for me because I only ever graduated high school. I didn't do any other college after that. So <laughs> it's like kind of struggle sometimes. Um, 
I, I think that what he, he he starts talking towards the end of uh, nothing is nothing has a more divisive and alienating effect upon society than this moral complacency and lack of responsibility, and nothing promotes understanding and reproachment more than the mutual withdrawal of, of projections. So he talks a lot about how like, you know, we all, we find fault in other people. Everything else is, it's always someone else's fault. It's never our own. Mm. And it's because we're not taught to be individuals and we're, we're only taught to go ahead along with the herd that we don't ever examine ourselves and be like, hey, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'm the problem. Maybe something I'm doing is wrong. You know, and, and in a world right now where information goes so fast and you can figure everything out so quickly and it can happen on the other side of the world. And then within 10 minutes, the whole damn world knows about it. This is mm. becoming more and more difficult for us to kind of, um, you know, wade through. As a Christian would would put it, humanity has fallen. Right. And he talks about this and he gets into it. He's like, you got to be aware that like. When you see the crimes happening by these dictators, these atrocities that are being carried out, you're you're no different. It's in you too. That darkness, and we were talking beforehand about that book, Ordinary Men. Like, like that darkness is in you. And I've heard Jordan Peterson reference this. I mean, and I think this is something that really changed my way of thinking about things was to understand that, Oh, well, I may be one of the 80% and not the 20%, right? Mm -hmm. I may be a follower. And if I were put in that situation, I might've been a Nazi, yeah. right? Most, Even if it's, people were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so it's, it's coming to that realization that that level of, of evil is in each of us as humans and you have to not only get to know that side of yourself as much as you don't want to know that side of yourself you have to conquer it you can only conquer it by knowing what it is that you're conquering right mm -hmm. i think I, I said this many times a, a lot of places but it's like you can't defeat a, a demon if you don't know what it looks like mm. you know and we all throughout human history, like we, you know, humans have been really shitty towards each other, you know? And again, I'm going to say, you know, we, we can, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't look at ourselves as the perpetrator, mm -hmm. uh, but we all have it and we all do it in, in, in certain ways. Now, I think the more, the, the more reflection you're able to put upon yourself, uh, the less that goes away, the less you could kind of, I, I don't want to say like, you know, wash your hands of it because you, you know, the second you think that you're, you're in the clear is when you're going to go right back into it, you know, because now you're mm -hmm. looking at yourself like you're better than everyone, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think, I, I think humility plays a big role in a lot of that stuff. You know, we have to look at, I mean, even people that we, we don't like, you know, politically or, or whatever, you know, the best thing we can do is try to have empathy with them put, put ourselves in their shoes mm -hmm. and see okay i'm not saying that everybody that we disagree with is right 100 but i know damn right i'm not 100 right all the time either mm -hmm. so if i know that about myself then obviously that's that's how it is with other people as well um but you know you're never going to do that it, you're always going to look at someone else as the enemy someone else is the perpetrator of all the wrong if you can't 
put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not doing something to be evil so much as they're doing something to protect themselves, or 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 as a reaction to something that they've seen or, or been a part of. One of the ways I always try to like think about it is: Have I ever done something in my life that if I would have seen someone else do, I would have disliked them immediately? Mm. Unequivocally, yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, really? you know, I don't know a single person that hasn't committed some act that if they would have seen another person do, they would have been like, fuck that dude. And yeah. if you meet anyone that says that's never happened to them, they're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, C.S. Yeah. Lewis talks about that when he says, um, if anyone needs to, if anyone struggles forgiving other people, uh, just think about your own day and how often you forgive yourself for mm. the things you do um, that you would not forgive if someone else did. Yeah. 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 Holding on to things that are like 10 years old or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. yeah. Let, let, let that, uh, uh, let him without sin cast the first stone. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think where uh, another thing is he doesn't really talk. He, he kind of like dips his toe in it, but doesn't really say it um, about like the collective unconscious and how mm -hmm. we're all kind of part of this. Like, it's in the back of our heads. Mm. Like you don't even think about the things that everybody else is thinking about. It's just, it's almost like we're connected, you know, electrically or something that we all just have, we have a feeling of something, but we, we don't even think about it. You know, it's just a part <clears throat> of like that, that kind of directs us. And uh, how he, he talks about how, I think Europeans, he says something about like the Europeans like fucked with people from different countries and everything, you know, like they, they put a lot of hurting on them and everything. And that's something that we all have to deal with. Um, collectively, like as, as, like as a, as a group, like we have to realize like, oh shit, you know, this may be, you know, left over from that, but most people aren't even in that unconscious. I mean, no one, yeah. he, he says that, you know, if, if you don't pay attention to the unconscious, the, the unconscious will become your conscious and you'll call it fate. Mm. You know, what we're doing now is we're kind of sweeping a lot of that uncomfortable type of shit under the rug so that we can try to move forward. But the only way we can actually move forward is by pulling that stuff up out of the rug and dealing with it, which is mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, what we're, what we've been dealing with, you know, I'm not going to say that I think that, you know, we've been dealing with it correctly, you know, I think we're kind of, you know, it's the pendulum, you know, we were all the way over here. Then, you know, people had enough of it. Now it's all the way over here. And now we're, we're kind of on the backswing right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that, that unconscious level of uh, what's going on. It's the, um, it's the logos versus the pathos. Mm. You're right. So, so the, the self when, whenever you're, whenever you're trying to get to know yourself, like think about it, like, um, trying to live the life of Christ, right? So Christ was the ultimate self. So, and the pathos would be the pathological side, the, and so, so what you're, what you're experiencing is the, the Christ and the antichrist, right? So you got to, and, and there are some people 
and I'm not saying this is necessarily right, but I, I, I talk to a lot of people that, that think this way. There are some people that believe that there cannot be a Christ without an antichrist, right? Mm. That, that one can't exist without the other. So like you have to look at the logos, not as the opposite of the pathos, but as, but the pathos is the inversion of the logos, right? right. So it resembles the logos with the wrong ends in mind. Mm -hmm. Right. And so and I think this is where people get like tied up, tongue tied on religion is they think inversion means opposite. And it's not like the inversion of, of Christ would be the antichrist. It wouldn't be the opposite. It would resemble Christ, mm -hmm. but it would be leading you to the wrong ends. And so you have to be very careful with the pathological, right? Because logos is in the word pathological. So it's taking part of the logos and it's twisting it and inverting it to lead you to the wrong ends. And I really think that's what he's really trying to encompass in this work. Yeah. Does anybody want to talk about the um, last little bit of it? He talked about modern art, how it is. In no. The no, I'm just playing. It's <laughs> like, a great part of it. Um, like, Actually, I was, I was, I'm really excited to hear John talk about this because he yeah, is an artist. Me, so. me too. I was really looking forward to that because I, I was really, I was, I've been listening to a lot of Wadsworth's crew and on beauty and objective beauty. And he, he does a whole, in his documentary, he goes to a modern art museum and just like interviews a guy who literally has a can of shit on display. And he just starts like roasting the guy to his face about it. And I was um, walking, I was cleaning my room up, I was looking at something. He brought up modern art, and I snapped back immediately. Like, okay, sit back down, get my notes open. <laughs> I want to hear this part because immediately it was, was all great. But before I say what I want to say about John, if anything you want to say about the modern art part of the book, yeah. So he talks about how like we, we're trying to like reframe what beauty is, right? We're trying to reframe, uh, it's going from like objective to subjective, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I feel like with art, it's, it's kind of hard. Like I, I get it, you know, like you have like cathedrals and you have like these beautiful stained glass windows and you have like all the, all the paintings and everything. And like that, that was, that was uh, what beauty was that that's what art was, you know, um, as time progresses, you know, we have so many other things available to us that I'm not I, like, I, I kind of like, I, I was, I was struggling reading this. Cause I'm like, he's kind of shitting on it. He's shitting on modern art, mm -hmm. but in the same respect, it's like, well, you know, subjectivity matters too. Right. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, I just feel like I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Really. I, I think that, uh, I feel like it's not always subject. It, it's it's subjective it's through the yeah. the right lens. You know, yeah. like if, if for instance, if I'm going to see this any of these behind me, like I can tell you exactly what they mean. There's mm -hmm. meaning behind them. They don't look like, you know, the the art of like you know the church churches and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But there is there is a meaning behind it. Yeah. You know, on everything. Like and definitely a beauty. Right I mean, they look great. This is uh, it's it's the the serpent god uh, of the mayans uh Khan. you know and then there's a medicine wheel next to it and you know it's he's protecting the world from from the coronal mass injections that are coming out you know and, and that could be interpreted as evil you know so i think where modern art has has a, a benefit 
is that if you're able to explain it, if you're able to talk to the actual person and it has something, I mean, if you just shit in a can, you call that yeah. art, that's not fucking art. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not, it's it's not, not. you know, but uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but you know, like this, the stuff that I, I do, um, it does have meaning to it. A yeah. lot of it has, there's more of it than just these behind me, but you know, a lot of it does have like a spiritual meaning. Um, I did one that was Tommy. I think you've seen it, the the Golgotha one that I did. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I've seen that one. I, I I've seen your um, the one you did, uh, the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. which was just amazing. Oh yeah, that that was the yeah the that one that one was was pretty cool. But like you know, the, <clears throat> yeah, the, the the thing about it is, is like you really got to understand stuff. For you know, there's this one like directly behind me. That was just bullshit. You know, this one right here. I was just having fun with that one, you know, it just came out like that. But, you know, obviously art is, art is, I, I don't care where it is, art is sub subjective, in my yeah. opinion. I think when it comes to all, it's like, what is, like, what is beauty? And I think it's ready to define beauty where like, beauty is uh, whatever something is maximizing the form of. And so if your art isn't like, your art is, it's maximizing the form of whatever the art you are drawing is. There is no real form uh, to a shit in a can. Or a toilet. There is no form to an open toilet seat representing, you know, the patriarchy. It's a formless. Um, and they're trying to make it by applying meaning to. But when you actually have a form of something, you can apply meaning to and accept the beauty of that form. You can actually have a beautiful art that some people might not like, but that was preference of what the art is. Why I think a lot of modern art is not deep or meaningful or actually have forms too. I think it's formless and it's it is it's inherently a a, a um disordered chaos in a sense like they're trying to display a chaos uh against the normal against the normal against the order and then they're trying to backpedal and uh they create the art and they say okay now i have to create some story behind you and make people like this art mm -hmm. and it's really affronts people's natural sensibilities towards what is beautiful what is ordered what is good and in doing so they have a uh, corrupted men's sense of actually seeing beauty because now well honestly i've held her i can't say that's objectively beautiful and it doesn't lift you up if you can't view it as something that is objectively good and so it's a it's a very clever, sneaky way to do it, like designed to destroy all. Like, I don't consider what you, like, you're doing is modern art, but I think it has a form to it, it has beauty behind it, it has meaning behind it, and it's intended into that. But with a lot of modern art, it's, it's, uh, they put the cart before the horse, they make it, and they back for a story behind it to justify the price and why so many people love it. But yeah, I think I think anything, anytime somebody's putting together art, and I'm sorry, this is kind of like personal to me uh, because I write and I do poetry, I write poetry and I do all this stuff. So, um, you're always trying to find the archetypical story. Mm -hmm. And even John, you can look at his paintings. You can tell he's trying to get to the core of something. Yes. But if there's a box with a white dot on it, they're not after anything. They're not trying to encompass anything. It's just a box with a white dot on it. If there's a nude chick sitting in the, like surrounded by ropes in the middle of an art museum, what is she trying to get to the bottom of? What is she trying to encompass in her body? Nothing. It's just some new chick sitting there, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think I think what you're describing or what is be what is commonly described as modern art would be better described as postmodern art. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of got into art. Like, it's just something that I did for, you know, when I was in high school, when I was, you know, after high school and everything, but I never really took it seriously. Uh, then once the pandemic started, I started painting a lot and doing that kind of thing. And uh, <coughs> I, I think 
so I, I don't really have like an art background per se. You know, I'm, I'm a plumber. <laughs> That's what I do for a living, you know. Um, That's just shit right there behind him. He was yeah, just like, I, I, I saw this in a toilet earlier. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you like it. So like I, I, but I, I, you know, when I think modern art, I think it kind of more or less like what, what you just said, you know, it's postmodern art. It's, mm-hmm. it's like not, cause I mean, even like, I, I don't know, Andy Warhol would be considered what he would be considered. Um, but like there, there's some beauty to his stuff, you know, yeah. uh, there's some beauty to, I mean, any kind of art really, but when you do it for like a shock value kind of thing, that's where, you know, or, or like yeah. it's, it's a political commentary that you have to explain to people in order for them to get it. Cause a lot of that shit, no one's looking at it and be like, Oh, that's what this means. Just like mine, you know, until you hear the actual story behind it, that's when it's going to put, put meaning behind it. You know, with yeah. my stuff is like, you know, I want the senses. I want, I want the bright colors. I want you to be able to see, you know, look at it and see something different every time, you mm. know, and, and, you know, I think there is a feeling that people do get when they look at my art. You know, yeah. Because I put something into it, not just because it's just shapes on on a paper. It it um it makes me think uh, I'm a I'm a movie guy more than a painting or poetry guy. So I think of movies. Um, you look at how they made uh, Frozen and Frozen Two. Uh, yeah. Most popular Disney movies of all time, allegedly. Uh, they wrote the Wait, Frozen. That was the that was Frozen was that movie where the plane crashed and they ate each other. I wish that would have been so much better. Um, well, my daughters are going to be mad at you. <laughs> nah, uh, I watched the the making of both of those movies, the behind the scenes and everything, and they wrote the songs before anything. I'm both. Uh, yeah. Really? Um, so they wrote the songs and then built the whole movie, the whole story around the songs. Um, especially for Frozen 2, they almost like the main song that everyone loves from it, uh, Show Yourself, they almost had to cut from the movie because they couldn't figure out how to make it fit in the story that they were writing around the other song mm-hmm. that they wrote for it. And I think that's kind of what Caleb was talking about. They're putting the cart before the horse. They're making Mm -hmm. them, hey, here's our product. Here's what we're selling. This is what is going to make people come to this and get stuck in their heads. Now we have to pad around it. Um, And I just watched uh, in my class, I teach middle school, we watched um, Sleeping Beauty, the old, old one. And I was watching it and I'm like, this is a fantastic movie. Um, and I could watch that movie over and over and over again um, because of there's the themes behind it. It's a story. It means something. Um, Jordan Peterson does a breakdown on Frozen and he's like, you watch this story and uh, things just come out of nowhere for a shock value. There's not an archetype behind what's happening. It's just mm-hmm. uh, it's re- it's shock and awe storytelling mm-hmm. is what I call it. Um, because I mean, in my opinion, creativity is a godly attribute that, mm. um, uh, we look in scripture, God is creative. Satan is corrupting. He, he can twist things, but he never makes anything. Um, and so when people lose that creativity, that's, that, that's a 
it's a divine quality that God put in us, but we can cut ourselves off from God, cut ourselves off from that goodness, those good qualities. And we end up going just with, okay, how can I shock people? How depraved can I make something to just freak them out or flashy or whatever, instead of um, what's a new way I can present something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there, there's kind of room for both, mm -hmm. you know, um, because like Tommy was talking about, like the, uh, you know, the inversion of things. Right. It's not two separate things. It's the same thing looked at from a different perspective a lot of times. Um, and just like you were talking about with the, the Jesus and the Antichrist, you know, yeah, it's it, good is not the lack of evil. Right. It's 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 the alternative. It's the the, the, the flip side of the point. Um, now, I don't know how I feel about that, though, <laughs> you know, because I think it would be. Sometimes I think it would be much easier to just be like, yeah, this is good and this is bad. And, and, and good is the lack of bad and vice versa, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the more you start thinking about that, you know, the harder that, mm -hmm. that, that is to deal with. That line blurs. Yeah. 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 yeah what, where, where are you walking that line? It's like, just think about your own life. Um, the way I look at it is I, I, that's, that's the way I look at it. I think about my own life and, and the things that I've tried to, to do for good that have turned bad. And it's like, Oh man, that really seemed like a good idea. It, it really, I really thought I was doing the right thing. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions type of deal. Mm -hmm. And, and it, and it flips around on you and, and you realize that, just because your your end goal was a specific thing, you you took I mean you went a, a quarter millimeter off the beaten path, but that quarter millimeter a mile down the road is twenty foot wide. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's suddenly you're looking at a situation and you're like, oh shit, now what? This isn't where I wanted to be. How did I get here? And you're trying to backtrack, trying to figure things out. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's kind of the way I look at the, the Christ and the antichrist. It, it looks right. Mm -hmm. It sounds right. It feels right. And then I'll, you get to the end goal and you're like, wait a second. And it, it, it feels like that's what happened. I mean, just take uh, progressivism, for instance. If you look at the stated goals of a progressive, if you, if you talk to like, let's say a Kyle Kalinske or someone like that, mm. like you're never going to get the idea that <laughs> of what we have today, mm -hmm. but for some reason they just keep ignoring what's going on today. And it's like, okay, when are you going to admit that taking this path in this direction has gone off the rails? You know, because mm -hmm. I think someone like that, like I, I disagree with him on so much, but I watch him because I think he's trying to be honest. Right. Yeah. So, oh yeah. And it's like, okay, when you, when you look at these guys, why are, why are you so focused on Alex Jones? And there's so much crap going on. 
with people in power. Like this guy has no power. Like, yeah, what is happening? And I see it with the Libertarian Party. I see it a lot with the Libertarian Party or people that call themselves libertarians. Mm-hmm. That okay, your ends are I okay, like I'm I'm with you. Like the ends are awesome, but the means to get there, like you've gone astray, man. You mm-hmm. you're off the beaten path. Like we we need to back up a little bit and try to figure out what's going on, recuperate. And and this is that ideological fanaticism that it, it takes over. It's it's a mind virus. And if you're not self-reflective, and getting back to the book, because that's why we're here, right? But but if you're not self-reflective, if you're not like paying attention to what's going on around you, you can easily get caught up in the the hysteria of the crowds and and jump on board in trying to destroy someone in their career. But where is that going to leave you? Does that, does that advance anything? Does that help anything? I said it the other day. I was like, you know, y'all are arguing with each other and you're arguing with a bunch of people that have no power. Mm-hmm. Like you're not making a difference. If anything, you're making it easier to be defeated because you're weakening every like every aspect of anything that wants liberty or anybody that wants liberty. And so you might have the right intent, but it's an inversion of, of getting to the good. It's an inversion of liberty, liberty of libertarianism. We've gone for an hour. We've gone for over an hour now. The podcast Barely. normally is only an hour. Long. Barely. Barely. Barely, but so um, come on, you got another hour in you. Let's go. <laughs> it's ten o'clock, you. Um, Dude, I just started drinking. Let's get on it. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind going for a bit long. If you, I don't mind going for a bit long. If everybody else is still no, I'm just playing. Like whatever y'all need to do, I'm good. <laughs> I haven't eaten yet. My wife just texted me and said the food was fantastic. So, like, is it warm? <laughs> well, uh, what was the biggest last question? What was the biggest takeaway from the book that everybody had? Or what is, or, or if you can't say a good answer for that one, why is it? What is the reason someone should read this book? Everyone wants to go first. My my biggest takeaway was um, I'm was the advice he had for the church. It wasn't it wasn't framed as advice, but what he said spoke when he was speaking to the church. Um, when he said, um, like, from his perspective, the entire purpose of Christianity is the uplifting of the individual. Um, and yet the church falls into the, the trap of working on the same mass appeal that everything else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and the church speaking on the same wavelength as everything else just gets drowned out. Um, and it needs to needs to focus on what it actually does, which is an individual relationship with Christ. Um, I, th- I think that um, that is what what stuck with me. That um, hey, uh, you save one soul at a time, basically, yeah. or God saves one soul at a time. Uh, was was what I took out of that, and that kind of, that really spoke to me there. Zong, what about you? I think that um, 
for me, it's the whole thing with, with Jung, whether it's this book or any other book, is that what he's talking about is creating a healthy person. Uh, in order to be a healthy person, you have to be mentally right. And I think that with this book, it, it's a good it's a good primer for, for, you know, getting into other things that he talks about. Um, this book in particular, I like that he, he makes a distinction between the state and church and says that they can both be used for bad if you don't know yourself. And that in either regard, uh, the only way that either one can be healthy, whether it's a state or a church, is by healthy individuals making the body of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's the most important thing. And I'm not talking, obviously, physical health, although that helps a lot. Uh, but if you're not mentally healthy, you can't be good for anybody, let alone yourself. And I think that's what he starts getting at in this book is just that. Tommy, what about you? I think, um, I don't know. My biggest takeaway, I think, was that there's this, that, that when you, when you start going down the path of really getting to know yourself, it is going to be a journey that leads you to transcendence and not necessarily God in the colloquial sense and what people think of as God. I have my own opinions on what God is and what that means. And we could have that conversation some other time. That would be another hour at least. Anytime you want um, to do it. But that there's something within a person within within your will that is bigger than humanity and that that can lead you to he he makes a it in the in the final essay he he's talking about someone who has gotten to know themselves can make impact subconsciously on the world around them and that really that really struck me. I was just like, wow, that's that's pretty wild. To yeah, it's think like the of. wealth, power, and influence kind of thing is what he's what he was like kind of hinting at, to be honest with you, is that you're you're able to take care of other people. You're 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 able to show other people the way mm-hmm. and get people to do what you what, what you know what you know to be correct by taking care of yourself. Yeah, but he he makes a point to make sure that you understand that this is a subconscious thing that when you start thinking about it, you destroy you destroy that ability, right? That this is something that when you're on when you're in the right frame of mind when you're on the right track, people just follow. Yeah, and that that focusing on how do I get people to follow me probably is not going to end well. You know. Yeah. That that what you what you need to do is you need to focus on how do I make me better, and as you make yourself better, then people then that that influence it shines into the world and you make a difference in the world, mm. and you know people really need to, including myself. I mean I'm not one to preach. I I got to better myself just like everybody does. Um, so uh, that that really struck me. I was like, "Oh wow!" Like that 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 
having that kind of impact on the world around you is, is important. Especially if you're making a good impact because he, he makes a point that, it, that if enough individuals do this, then you impact the entire world and the world changes because of the, the influence. And this is something that Christianity teaches that it's one, one soul, one spirit, one person at a time. And so he really like emphasized that from a psychological standpoint. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. It was a fantastic book. Um, book was called Undiscovered Self by Carl Jung. It's very small, not easy, easy to pick up on Amazon. And listening. I, I highly recommend you pick it up and read it. Before I Certain, wrap up. Um, certainly doesn't sound small listening to us. No, no. <laughs> um, but before we wrap up, let's, uh, let's give our plugs. Uh, Tommy, where can people find you at? Um, that would be the libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash. You got to have that forward slash at the end. I don't know what Harley did, but I got to have a forward slash at the end there. So libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash. Got it. Caleb, what's your, what's your uh, plugs? Uh, at Caleb underscore salmon on Twitter. That's it. You guys are doing more. Um, Zom, where can people find your plugs at? Uh, where can they find can, you at? You can find me at Twitter um, at spiritual underscore Ronin. Um, you can check me out on YouTube. I have a few videos on there right now. That's uh, Mind Your Business with John Hartman, J-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N. Um, check out my artwork on Instagram. That link is, will be in the description. Th- I'm sorry? The link will be in the description if anyone wants okay, to check that, it out. That one, uh, the Instagram is uh, Seven Fingers Studio at Seven Fingers Studio. And that's uh, Instagram. Yeah, and that's pretty yeah. much it. I have it up now, and I'm looking through it, and the art is uh, incredible. Do you, are you selling any art yet, or are you just, like, posting art? I've had some people ask uh, about some pieces, and uh, I'm working on getting a website going, and, and I'm working on digital prints because, you know, some of these – there's a couple that my kids really like that I can't get rid of. <laughs> um, they, want, they want them for themselves. And then the, I, I feel like, uh, you know, if I do the digital prints, that'll be easier for people to pay for them. Yeah. You know, because I can charge, you know, 10% what I would for like an original. Mm. Well, let me know when you put that up because I, I want to pick some of these up. They look I'm on Instagram now and just they look, they look great. Thanks, dude. Yeah, and hit me up. I'll get you hooked up with somebody. I'll get your website up and running. No time. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'll talk to you about that. Wonderful. Well, this is another episode of uh, Face, Liberty, and Praxis. Uh, be sure to like, comment, say, subscribe, the whole YouTube stick. Um, I have I I don't I don't kind of any episode in the work or on the schedule, but I have a, a lot of books that I am reading. Soon I'm going to do after liberalism, multiculturalism, death of the rest, and uh, reclaiming America as death of Romando. And so I got a bunch of paleo good right wing books coming out. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. Make sure you subscribe for that. But um, that that's about it. Everyone have a good night. Oh, 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 o